The text for the sermon this day is taken from John chapter 6, which was read to you earlier. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As I mentioned at the beginning of the service, today is Letter Sunday, the Sunday of rejoicing. So the question immediately comes, is why is this the readings that we have today? Why read about the feeding of the 5,000? Because interestingly, in the three-year lectionary, the feeding of the 5,000 doesn't come up until mid-August. And by the way, I kind of prefer it here because the readings during the summer months are kind of throwaway readings. Because how much do we remember that happens in the summer? But the feeding of the 5,000 is a significant reading. Because other than the resurrection, it is the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. Which means it is of significance. See, and so the text begin, and so before we get into the text a little bit, it's helpful to know what is going on before this. What is going on right before this is not actually included in John's gospel, but in the other gospels. In the other gospels, we get the, the news that just before this, the news that John the Baptist had been beheaded had cut, reached the ears of Jesus and many others. And so this is why they are flocking to him. Because, as it says in one of the other Gospels, Jesus looked at them as sheep without a shepherd. They had lost the person that they were following. They were following so intently John the Baptist. But he was now dead. So what do they do? They go to the one whom he, John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. By the way, it's not a coincidence that John mentions Passover in here. John makes a lot of focus on Jesus as the Lamb. But they come out to him. And what they have, what is very similar to a funeral. Because in the other Gospels, it gives you the detail that before they have the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus has, he teaches them, he preaches to them. And it's not until it gets a little bit later that this is where John picks up. He's lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So, give you a little perspective. If, you know, there's about 5,000 people, 5,000 men, you throw in the women and the children, I've heard estimates anywhere from 10,000 to 16,000. Um, so, Imagine if you're to call up a caterer and ask them to feed, tell them that you need to feed 10 to 16,000 people and you need the food within an hour. What do you think that caterer is going to say? No. <laughs> They're like, well, maybe we could get 100 or something, but no. <laughs> that would probably require a few months of planning. 
And think about how much that would have to cost. I mean, many of us have known what it's like to cater maybe a, a wedding or a, a funeral or even like a, some graduation parties, and we know the cost of that. But imagine 10000 That'd be an enormous cost. And that is what Philip is thinking. So he answers, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. By the way, a denarii was about a day's wages. So they're talking like modern context, that'd be kind of like saying, you know, if you were to make $100 a day, that's like saying $20,000 wouldn't be enough, which probably is accurate. It would not be enough for that many people. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? I don't know if you know, realize this, but a barley loaf is not big. It's not like sliced bread that we have, we get in the, from the store. A barley loaf is enough to feed probably two people. So in other words, five barley loaves was probably not enough to feed all the disciples. And the two fish was definitely not enough for 12 people. So they're doing, the disciples are doing what we often do. When we find ourselves in a situation where we are beginning to panic and worry about what is going to happen, our first reaction is to think, how am I going to take care of this? When our finances are not working out so well, whether it be because of uh, medical bills, because it might be because of the failing economy, it might be because something goes wrong in the house or something goes wrong with our vehicle, whatever the reason is, Life becomes tough, financially or even sometimes relationally. Whatever it may be, our first answer tends to be, what am I going to do to fix this? And once we realize that we can't fix it, we begin to look to other people. Very common when things break, especially in this time of the year, people want to turn to politicians. And I'm going to let you on in a secret. They're not going to solve everything. They might solve a thing or two, but not all of it. The disciples also gave the wrong answer to Jesus. Because notice, Jesus was testing them. Their answer should have been right away, what are you going to do, Jesus? That's the right answer. They should have known right away that Jesus could have taken care of it. But how often is that not our answer right away to turn to, to Jesus in prayer? Turn to Jesus and say, Lord, I have this problem and I know you're the one that can take care of it. That's what we should be doing every time. But so often we turn to others. Because that is the weakness of our faith. We, we struggle just as the disciples do. But Jesus does not condemn them. He does not get angry with them for not having faith. Rather, he says, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. By the way, does that, that language sound a little familiar? He had given thanks and distributed it? What does that sound like? 
Sound like something we're about to do today? The Gospel of John was the last of the Gospels to be written. The Gospel of Luke had been written for about 20 years. The Gospel of Matthew was probably written about 40 years. And all of Paul's letters had been written. So people knew of the words of during the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. So when they would have heard, when he had given thanks, right away they would have thought, ah, this is an allusion to the Lord's Supper. This is foreshadowing. And so, and so he then, so also the fish, as much as they wanted, notice he gave them as much as they wanted. He didn't just give them how much they needed. He said, you want, first, you want seconds, you want thirds, you want fourths, you want fifth? Just go ahead, just keep eating. And by the way, notice this, similar, this is a similar to a funeral. Funeral, when somebody dies, you gather together, you hear God's word, you say a prayer, you might sing some hymns. That's the things they were doing initially. And when you're done with the service, you have a meal. That's what they're doing. And you can imagine they're probably telling stories about John the Baptist. Stories that none of us would ever know. Like, I mean, talk about those stories when he was five years old. Those little known ones that they, some of them were able to tell. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftovers that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who he, those, by those who had eaten. 12 basketfuls, so there's enough for every, at the start, there was barely enough food to feed the 12 disciples. Now there's enough, plenty of them for each of them to take home. Again, like if, when you have a funeral meal, you have a wedding meal, or I remember my ordination, we had, we had so much cake, it was coming out of our ears. You get a lot of leftovers. They got leftovers. That is how our God works sometimes. When we come to him in, need, in our needs, he answers, and sometimes he gives us way more than we could ever need. That is the great generosity of our God. And by the way, I don't know if you realize this, that we as Americans are all wealthy compared to the rest of the world. Do you know why God lets us to be wealthy? At least this is what Luther argued. It's so that you can help those who don't have anything. That's why you're rich. It's for those who are not. So you can be the one that helps them. Very contrary to the way we want to think. We think we get rich so we can be me, me, mine, 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 mine. Kind of like those birds from the uh, Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. If you ever remember that. That's kind of the way we are. But in reality, what we have, we don't own anything. The money you have, the possessions you have, they don't belong to you. They belong to God. Which means... That they are to be given to those who are in need. We as a congregations. I don't know if you ever noticed it. At least I could say at least two of our three congregations have abundance of resources in our that we could be giving to uh, missionaries and to many different causes around this country. We have ways that we could be supporting many. 
I'm not saying that you got to go bankrupt. But there is definitely ways we could be helping. But here's a detail. This text, it's happening after a death. It's in the midst of grief, in the midst of sorrow. And the reason is because this is Jesus' moment of reprieve for these people. Because notice where they're at. They are next to a sea. They are made to sit down on grass. The Lord prepares a table for them. He looks at them like sheep without a shepherd. And he gives them in abundance. Let's see if that sounds familiar. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Jumping down to verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus, in this, is letting the crowd know that he is the good shepherd. He is the shepherd because of whom we shall not be in want. He is fulfilling Psalm 23. And that fulfillment is a foretaste of the ultimate fulfillment that is to come. And we too get a foretaste right there. He gives out of that little, those tiny wafers, that little bit of wine. He gives you the abundance of the forgiveness of sins of eternity, just as he did with five loaves of bread and two fish, fed 10,000 people. With that little bit, he gives you mercy and grace that is overflowing, that was sealed by Jesus' death on the cross. And this is right in the heart of Lent because we are looking forward to Easter. That is why we have this restrained joy throughout Lent. That's why we get rid of the Alleluias. That's why we get rid of the hymns of praise. That's why we sometimes give up things. It's the, it's the focus upon our sin. Focus upon our need of repentance so that when we get to that time of Easter, Easter is so much more joyous. It's an incredible celebration, an incredible foretaste of what is to come. Because just as Jesus rose from the dead, so shall you. All who believe in him have eternity. This reading, the teaching, the feeding of the 5,000, is forcing us to look forward to this future reality. And so we look at Revelation 7. If I could get my iPad to behave. Revelation 7, which is one of the great texts that are used especially near the end of life, says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out to the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God. And serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. At the, that, that crowd, they got a foretaste of that reality. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we get a foretaste of that reality. By the way, in case you do not know, the person who is writing that is the same person who wrote, that is the Apostle John who wrote that gospel. This is what we look forward to. Until that comes, may we walk in joy, rejoicing in the wonders of our God. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith and a life everlasting. Amen. Please stand.